Hey, last week we started a brand new series called Epic, and I hope you're here for, for that. Pastor Brian kicked us off from Daniel chapter one. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. If you miss a week, we put them online. Uh, we're in chapter two this week and next week. I'm going to take us through the first part of chapter two, and then Pastor Brian's going to take us through the rest next week. So you know where we are in your small group that helps and your personal time that helps. You can be reading along with us and preparing if, uh, along with us. But there's a big theme that we're considering here. It's this idea that all of history is really the epic story of God. History is his story. It's the original light versus darkness story. It's the original good versus evil story. There's, there's intrigue, there's romance, there's an enemy and there's a hero and his name is Jesus and he wins by the way. You may or may not agree that all of history is the unfolding story of God, but that is my premise. And the exciting thing about this premise for everyone, whether you're all in with this quite yet or not, is that there's an invitation here to every single one of you to find yourself in the story. There's an invitation for every single one of you to find yourself in the greatest story ever told, the story of a living hope, the story of a God who's going to set the world back to rights again, you you are invited to be part of the story. I'm excited. Excuse me for a second. You are invited to be part of the story. I love a good movie. I love a good story. And I don't know if if you're like that. I don't know if you go to the movies a lot. We're getting ready to be like summer movies are about to happen. It's about to get real excited. And and so I I said to our team, I said, listen, I love picturing myself in the story. Could you guys help picture me in some of these stories? And uh, they had a little too much fun at, at one point this week, but yeah, they were able to help. So just so you know, coming soon, less than two weeks, we've been waiting uh, for Avengers. It's coming and uh, I'm, I'm going to be featured here. Have a look. This is, uh, this is awesome. This is like my dream. I mean, this is incredible. Standing right next to Iron Man. I've got the soul stone. I'm not telling you that yet, but I'm taking down Thanos, the whole thing. It's going to be awesome. All right. So they had that going for me. Uh, you know, we're working in Scotland now as a church. If Braveheart's not on your top three as a movie, then I mean, come on. If it's not out there, then you haven't seen it yet. Listen, Mel Gibson's a handsome man, but at least with Photoshop, I'm working this pretty well. I mean, I'm not sure if I can grow all that mane, but that's, that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I've always loved a good Steven Spielberg movie, you know, and if I could be Harrison Ford in anything, I would be Indiana Jones. And so, uh, that is, that is amazing. I think they may have helped my beard a little bit in that picture. And they haven't told me, I I cannot confirm or deny. And if you've been around me at all, you heard me speak before, you know, that truly there is one story that rules them all. There is one story that's all about the idea that the smallest of people can save and change the world. And so they took just a moment and they made me Frodo. So the, um, (laughs) that, (laughs) it's okay to laugh at me, not with me. It's okay. That may be the dopiest looking Frodo you've ever seen. He doesn't look like he's going to Mordor, but he is. And uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. But the invitation to every single one of us is not just to be in a Hollywood story, but to be in the greatest story ever told, where the author of the story is the king of the universe. But here is the key, and don't miss this. This is so important. It's going to thread through our next few moments together. The key to finding yourself in the story is to know and align yourself with the purpose of the story. I mean, every good author, screenwriter, director 
has a guiding purpose to their story. It's something they, they want you to feel or know or experience as the story is unfolding or, and certainly when it's through. Sometimes you know the purpose right away. Sometimes you don't know it until the very end. And you go, oh, that's what they were trying to do. But in order to get to that place, there's an author, there's a director that had something in mind all along. And God has a guiding purpose that is unfolding in the epic story of humanity. It is his story and God has a purpose. And I believe that understanding God's guiding purpose and actively participating in that purpose can create a radical shift in your mindset and give you meaning in your life and purpose for your life today and every day that some of you today don't have. It's meaning and purpose that will give perspective to the victorious days, to the difficult days, and even to the days you don't understand at all. And I believe the unwavering commitment to God's guiding purpose is what sustains Daniel and his friends, which is part of why we are studying his life And it's such a great way to look at the epic story of God. We're in Daniel chapter two. I wanna read the first few verses here and pay attention because the story kind of tells itself. Starting in verse one, in the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they stood in, they stood before the king And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb And your houses shall be laid in ruins. No pressure at all. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So we have a problem. At least these guys have a problem. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, has had this dream. He believes it's a dream about his future and he wants to know what's coming. He worships a God who's known as Merodach or Bel or Marduk, depending on which name you find in history. It's, this is a violent God, a false God, of course. It's a God whose name means bitter contrition or even death. And the worship of this God is controlled by different cults in Babylon. And there's all kinds of blood sacrifices and lots of dark, uh, just awful things that go with worshiping this God. And King Nebuchadnezzar is right in the middle of all this. His power is absolute. His is the largest known empire up to this point in human history. He rules from somewhere along the borders of Egypt all the way to the far side of the Middle East, North Africa to the far side of the Middle East. He's one of the most powerful kings in human history. And at this point, even after some recent victories, he would be emboldened in his power. But power that's achieved through violence typically begets violence and is always tenuous. And it comes with a lot of insecurity and fear, even for the person in charge. Tell me the meaning or I will tear you limb from limb. And here's the catch. I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. You just have to figure it out. And here is how they answer it. The Chaldeans answered the king in verse 10. And they said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. 
For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. I love that. A little bit of an understatement. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious. How dare anybody ever tell him no? I mean, his words are absolute. And so he uses those absolute words to send out a decree that all of these people, these quote unquote wise men should be killed. All the conjurers, all the enchanters, all of these people should be killed. Now, they're not conjurers or enchanters, but they are wise men and they are four young Hebrew boys that we learned about last week from Daniel chapter one, who have been put in category with all of these wise counselors. They are, of course, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, captives from Judah, but the scriptures say they're the best of the best. Daniel chapter one ends by saying that these guys are 10 times smarter than everyone else. Of course, that's probably a bit of an exaggeration. There's no way to measure that, but the point is they're performing head and shoulders above everybody else, but they are on the list to be killed as well. So Daniel approaches the king's commander, a man named Arioch. And ultimately he approaches, he approaches the king. If you're reading carefully in Daniel chapter two, and I hope someone in your small group is reading carefully in Daniel chapter two and catches that little detail, because I think that's fascinating. All the scriptures tell us is that Daniel approaches Arioch and then he gets to go in and approach the king. We don't have any information on that meeting, but I hope that one day that we get some because that had to be absolutely amazing. Daniel goes in and asks the king for the one thing that the king would not give anyone else. In fact, it's the reason why he wants to kill everybody else because they asked him for time. And Daniel goes in to ask for time and it's granted to him. He gets the time he needs to interpret the dream. And what is Daniel going to do with his time? Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and he made known the matter to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel just said, I need some time to pray and seek God. Correct. No one on earth, no one of flesh can come up with the answer here. No one can meet the king's demands, but I know one who is above all things. And I'm going to spend some time with my friends on my knees before him and seek mercy. And that's what Daniel did. And I, here's the deal. Daniel lived his life knowing the guiding purpose of the epic story of God. And it impacted how he reacted in the craziest, darkest, most intimidating of circumstances. He's dealing with one of the most oppressive and awesome and terrible leaders in history from one of the darkest, most far-reaching empires in history. He and his friends have a death warrant on their lives. But Daniel's not shaken because he knows the guiding purpose of the story. And he's aligned with the guiding purpose of the epic story of God. I want you to think for just a moment about the last time you were really shaken up. And how did you respond? When was the last time you had anxiety so badly that you couldn't breathe? You thought your heart was going to come out of your chest. When was the last time you were truly gripped by fear 
Maybe it's the fear of the unknown from a diagnosis of some kind or a, a bill that you couldn't figure out how to pay. When was the last time you were truly hurt? I mean, someone wounded you personally, deeply, intentionally. And how did you respond? Because your response reveals what you believe is the guiding purpose of your life. So how did you react in the midst of dire, difficult, intimidating circumstances? I'm not judging justified or unjustified. Just think about how did you react? Were you belligerent? Were you angry? Did you go inward? Did you start to plot payback? Did you start to plan your escape? If someone is watching the movie of your life, what does it tell them about the purpose of your story? Daniel immediately decides to seek the God of heaven about the circumstance with his friends because Daniel knew God's guiding purpose. Because Daniel is a faithful follower of God, God's purpose is his purpose and it impacts how he responds and deals with everything in his life from the little things to the big things. So what is God's guiding purpose for the epic story of human history. I don't want us to get lost in the bigness of this, but rather you are invited to find your place in the story. Your face is on the poster and the key to unlocking purpose in your life that matters and that lasts and that gets you out of bed and motivates you every day and changes your response in the little and the big circumstances in the good and the bad circumstances is every day making God's guiding purpose your guiding purpose. So what is it? I wanna go, if we could, for just a moment, to Isaiah 43. The prophet Isaiah does a great job probably better than anyone else in scripture at unfolding God's purpose to his people. So the prophet Isaiah, God is speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel, but thanks to Jesus, we have been included in these words whenever God is referring to his people. So look at this passage as one where God unfolds his purpose. Isaiah chapter 43, verse one says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flame will not over, overwhelm you, will not consume you. Look at part of verse four. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Look at verse five. Fear not, for I am with you. Think about these phrases in Isaiah. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. This is the God of the universe talking to his people, talking to you. You are precious in my eyes. You are honored. I love you. Fear not. Love is the backdrop. Love is the motive for God's unfolding and guiding purpose here in Isaiah. Verse six, I will say to the north, give it up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made with love as the backdrop. God says you were created for, your purpose is for me. The guiding purpose of God is the glory of God. The unfolding purpose for all of the epic story of human history is the glory of God. 
It was his purpose from the beginning in creation. We were made in his image to reflect his purpose to the world. The psalmist tells us the earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah continues on in chapter 43, verse 10. Some of the phrases he uses, he says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed and there will be none after me. I, even I am the Lord. There's no savior beside me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed even from eternity, I am he. There's none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it? This is the God who says, I love you and you are precious to me and I have called you by name. Verse 14, he says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they will rejoice. God had a purpose for the captivity all along. The purpose is always God's guiding purpose is always the glory of God. Verse 21, the people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise created by him for him in order to praise him and bring him glory. The guiding purpose of God is the glory of God. And if you will align yourself with God's guiding purpose, it will give you understanding in the good moments and the bad moments of life. You may not know what he is up to, but you can know what the outcome will be. The glory of God. Isaiah 48, behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? For my glory, I will not give to another. We can almost never, to be honest, we can almost never answer the question, why do bad things happen? Particularly, why do bad things happen to good people? God may be refining you. He may be trying you. He may be allowing you to go through something that has nothing to do with you, but he is planning to use you one day in the life of somebody answer every question, but I can tell you every outcome one way or another. God is going to get the glory. Now, some people view this with frustration, but honestly, this should not be a frustrating thing. This is not a hopeless thing. Rather, this is something that brings hope and faith and courage. I love how Pastor John Piper says this. He says, nothing inspires courage and endurance for daily living like knowing the purpose of God and feeling yourself wholeheartedly in harmony with it. Wholeheartedly in harmony. If my life is about bringing glory to God, then no matter what comes, I can be confident in this day. I can be confident in this circumstance because I can be confident in the outcome. And there's more good news to the guiding purpose of God, his, his glory. This is good news for all of us today. Sin and rebellion and tragedy cannot change the guiding purpose of God. You have not disqualified yourself from being aligned with the guiding purpose of God. Now, there may need to be repentance. There will always be forgiveness from this loving heavenly father. You can still be aligned yourself. Nothing you have done will put you on the shelf, will disqualify you, will not allow you to be brought in to be a part of this because the outcome is most certainly going to be the glory of God. That is what is going to happen. And there's nothing that you can do, nothing so dark that's going to change that. Ask Adam and Eve who messed up the whole thing from the very beginning. Ask Abraham who got impatient about the promises of God and slept with another woman. Ask Moses who killed an Egyptian and then disobeyed the instructions of God in the wilderness. Ask Samson who allowed a vow he had taken to the Lord to be broken. 
Ask David, who had an affair with a woman and then had her husband killed. Ask Jonah, who tried to walk away and hide from the call of God. Nothing can change the guiding purpose of God and the epic story of God. He is going to get glory, no matter what happens. Ask Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah when they were conquered by a foreign enemy, when they lost more friends and family members than they could even begin to count, taken to a foreign land, though they were removed from their homeland, they were not removed from the story of God. In the face of one of the most powerful people in the history of the planet, these young men don't flinch. Daniel doesn't worry about Nebuchadnezzar's reputation, about the cultic worship that he's a part of, he immediately reacts with a confidence and an understanding that God is going to get glory whether he and his friends live or die. So Daniel prays. He seeks God for mercy. Imagine this prayer. God, I gotta tell you, I need you to tell me what he even dreamed before we can even figure out what it means. And yet God gives it to him. God gives him the dream and he gives him the meaning. And then Daniel responds to God before he even goes back to the king in verse 20. Daniel answered and said, he's answering God who answered his prayer. Daniel answered and said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. The glory of God, the guiding purpose of God supports all of human history. It overarches all of human history. And so it governed their response. They were in such alignment with it. They did not even for a moment consider thinking to say, oh, we figured it out. Look at what we did. Look at how smart we are. They knew who wisdom and power and achievement and promotion belonged to. And so they praised God accordingly. They knew that the guiding purpose of God was to get glory. And so they went to him for wisdom for their lives. They knew who were in charge of the story. They sought him and God answered. And once you know this purpose, once you're convinced of this purpose, you can align yourself with it and you can be an active participant and bringing glory to God in every circumstance. And I wanna give you three simple ways to remain in alignment with that. Number one, how can you keep your life in alignment with the guiding purpose of bringing glory to God? Number one is very simple, it's prayer. Prayer keeps you on the path and it keeps you in alignment. You and I need intentional time in the presence of God every single day to remind and focus our lives on the glory of God. And this is probably not even just a good morning God thing, but this is prayer without ceasing. This is all throughout the day. We need it all throughout the day. We need to diligently ask God for wisdom. He's promised to give it. We need to diligently surrender to his will and he will show us what it is. He is the rewarder of those. The scriptures say he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And his rewards are peace and strength and patience beyond our own understanding. And more than anything else, he rewards us with his presence. Of course, in prayer, you can bring all the requests you want. Your kids, your kids' sports, your relationships, your spouse, the person you wish were your spouse, your job, your finances, 
your marriage, whatever. But all of those things are punctuated with this thought. Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then what Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. All is for the glory of God and his guiding purpose. You may want God to answer a particular way. God, do it like this. God, this is what I need. And it seems like he's holding back. He's holding off. The reason is because he is going to get the glory and something great. He has something greater in store for his glory. Number two, very simple, is God's word. The second way to keep your life in alignment with the guiding purpose of bringing glory to God is to read and obey God's word. The Bible is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword and it keeps us on the path. Psalm 119, the psalmist says, the word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible is the very breath of God. And the scriptures say it gives us instruction and conviction and correction and helps us know how to live every single day. But you cannot be living for the glory of God without God's words. Romans chapter 15, the apostle Paul says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And before long, if you find yourself drifting away, it's because you haven't done the simple basics as a follower of God, of spending intentional time in his presence, talking to him and allowing him to talk to you. And over time you begin to drift and you have unhealthy questions and unhealthy doubts. And you begin to question and wonder why you even call yourself a follower of this God in the first place. You need that intentional presence to remind yourself of what every single day is to be about, the glory of God. Number three, intentional relationships. You need people in your life who have the same purpose that you do to lovingly remind you why you're here, the glory of God. This can begin and should begin around the family table. Why are your kids in that school they're in? Not just so they can learn, not so they can go get a great job one day, but for the glory of God. Why did God put you on that street? For the glory of God. Why did he give you that job? For the glory of God. Everything that has been placed into our hands, he has placed there so for our good, but more than anything else, so that he could get the glory. It's his guiding purpose. Intentional relationships with other believers are so important. They keep you on the path. We need to act as checkpoints for one another. Being in a small group is great for this. Being in a small group with people who are your own age or dealing with the same issues, whatever those might be. It may be for college students or for men or for women or for married couples, whatever it is. But being in a group acts as a checkpoint with our busy schedules to remind us and encourage us why we're all here. And here's what you can remind each other in every setting, around every family table and around every group table, around every cup of coffee, whatever it might be. Here's what you remind each other about every project, about every hobby, every relationship. Paul said it real clearly in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So I wanna close this way. I wanna give you a word that God has put on my heart this week in my own study, in my own just intentional time in his presence this week. And since it's coming from, from fresh study, I, I really felt God say, this is the word I want you to share with everyone else. That's why I've given it to you. This is a little bit of a, it's one of those things where, you know, sometimes God says something to you and you wonder how it's gonna land on everyone else. But I'm, I'm trusting God with this. 
that the word that he shared with me is the word that I should share with you. Before I give it to you, here's, here's the reason why. Because if I were to press many of you on what is God's purpose? Why did he create the world with love as a backdrop and his motive? Why did God create the world? Many of you in your small groups or your family table would ultimately have come up with, maybe after a little dialogue, you would have come up with the glory of God. That's God's purpose. So why don't we have the courage and confidence that goes with knowing that? I wanna give you a word that for me connects these two things. And I want to invite you to apply it to what I hope is your commitment, even a fresh decision today to live your life for the glory of God. It's the word diligence. Now stay with me for a second. Diligence. This is a word that's not talked about a lot. In fact, as the history of language goes, the word diligence is used 80% less now than it was 250 years ago. It's used 50% less now than it was 100 years ago. It is something that we have lost in our culture. We've had a dramatic decline in our diligence. And diligence, of course, means hard work or persistence, even tenacious. But here's the thing. It's the necessary ingredient in maintaining our commitments. It's that grit that goes along with it. I mean, too often we want to commit to something one time and then just walk away, but you don't find meaning or purpose in that. You just look back and see a bunch of decisions that you wish you had followed through on. But if you are going to make the guiding purpose of your life, the glory of God, if you're going to have the confidence that goes with that, knowing that the guiding purpose of your life is the glory of God because it is his guiding purpose throughout the epic story of human history, then you are going to have to make a diligent commitment. You're going to have to diligently surrender your life over and over and over again. You're going to have to diligently consecrate yourself over and over again. You're going to have to diligently ask him for wisdom. And in every single circumstance, whether small or great, whether good or bad, he has promised to meet us there if we will align ourselves with his purpose. But it's work. You have to be diligent in this. The writer of Hebrews says, we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. In order to make your hope sure, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the message. He says, I want each of you to extend that same intensity towards a full bodied hope and keep it to the finish. Diligence maintains hope. It is the key to maintaining our commitment to God's guiding purpose, his glory, and making it ours. Your decision to follow Jesus and to bring glory to God cannot merely be a one-time thing. Now, it's a one-time thing when you pray and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to receive salvation. You're then given the status as God's own child, his son or his daughter. That's a one-time thing. But I don't wanna do just the one-time thing. 
I want the word of God to be living and active in my life. I want eternal life to be growing inside of me like a mustard seed and taking over everything else. I have to be committed to this every single day. I have to be diligent about this every single day. I have to make a decision over and over again every single day that my life will give glory to God and not to me and not to anybody else. Encouragement, a challenge today. It's to make God's guiding purpose, your guiding purpose, and to choose it over and over and over again in your life. I love to read occasionally little stories about Johann Sebastian Bach. You remember this guy at all? Maybe you read about him in a history class at one point. He's from a very musical family. 1685, he's born. And by the age of 10, both parents had died. And yet he has journals where as a preteen or an early teenager, he committed himself to music for one reason only, for the glory of God. In his lifetime, because of all his music referring so much to God's glory in the world, in his lifetime, he was referred to as the fifth evangelist. Like, what does that mean? Well, people were basically saying, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Johann Sebastian Bach. That's how much his life was being dedicated to the glory of God during one three-year period. He wrote, conducted, orchestrated, and performed a cantata every week for three years with full choir and orchestra. Why? What motivated him? Because to listen to his music was to be pointed to the glory of God. And so before he would write anything, at the beginning of every authentic manuscript of Johann Sebastian Bach, you find two letters, J and J. It stands for Yesu Java. It looks like Jesus Java, but it's not. It's not coffee. Yesu Java. Listen to this. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Before he wrote the first note. And then every manuscript, there's three letters. S, D, and G. Soli Deo Gloria. For the glory of God. What a great way to begin and end every day. Every conversation, every relationship, every work. Yesu Yava, Jesus help me for the glory of God. Would you bow your heads with me? God wants his guiding purpose to be your guiding purpose. He loved you, it's why he created you. And he created you that you might bring glory to him. It is the outcome of the epic story of God. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you don't have meaning and purpose that comes with being a part of the purpose of human history, the purpose of God. He sent his son, Jesus. God sent Jesus for you to bring you into his plan, his purpose. If you've never put your faith and trust in him, 
Would you right now there in your seat, heads bowed, eyes closed, I wanna give you the opportunity to pray and reach out to him in your own words. If you're feeling a, a tug on your heart right now, that's the spirit of the living God who, who knows you, who calls you by name, who knows every hair on your head. You are precious to him. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. If you're here and you wanna put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you pray right now, God, I come before you in this moment and I give my life to you. I believe that your son was sent to die for me, for my mistakes, to bridge the gap in our relationship, God, that I could never bridge on my own. And so God, I put my faith and trust in that now. Help me to take hold of life. It's truly life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you may just know the very, very basics of what you need to know as a follower of Jesus. But you've been brought into the journey and we wanna walk with you. So if you would, as Jason was referring to that Get Connected card a few moments ago, you can take a moment and fill that out. Give it to one of our prayer team members who will be up here on either side of the stage afterwards. Take it to our help center. Or if you want to, with everybody else's head bowed and eyes closed, I'll give you permission right now to pull out your phone. I'll ask you to pull out your phone if you prayed to receive Christ. And would you type in these numbers in your text, 77453? And then would you text the word follow? Type in 77453, text the word follow. You'll be prompted from there and we'll have the opportunity to take a step together outside of this room towards Jesus. For believers in God today, for followers of God, I know that many of you could have answered the question, what is God's purpose? But how's that going? Have your reactions to your circumstances been demonstrating that purpose to others? Have your days been full of Jesus help me for the glory of God? If not, recommit yourself fresh and new today. Recommit your marriage fresh and new, your family freshly today to this. Make God's purpose your purpose. With diligence, go after it with everything you've got. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you teach us. God, I pray that you would renew and refresh every single one of us in here. Give us a new understanding of the confidence and courage that goes with living for the glory of God, come what may. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen.